to episode 14 of Bedroom Beethoven's, the podcast where I sit down with music producers and talk one-on-one about their baseline motivations for being a music producer. And you don't have to like music to like the show. You just gotta like interesting conversations. I'm your host, Cello, and on this episode, I put the spotlight on Ace Da Vinci. He was born into a musical family, and he shows musical talent and passion for his craft. And he puts all of his emotions into his art and considers his music an audio journal. And I kind of consider this podcast an audio journal. So it goes hand in hand. Da Vinci preaches peace and has done activist work outside of his music, impacting the community on a greater scale. And that honesty rings true because Ace is the type of person who you can have a million people by your side, but if you're not surrounded by the ones to help you rise up, then I believe it's not worth it. We talk about Trayvon Martin, empathy, global causes to video games and music. It's all a very encompassing interview, and I hope you guys dig it. The great and powerful Ace Da Vinci coming up, but first head on over to iTunes and give me a five-star review. It only takes a second of your time. Do you know how much work goes into making an episode for you? So spend a few seconds, enjoy this guilt trip of mine, and leave me a review. But even if you don't, I still appreciate you. Thanks for listening. All right, guys, I'm your host, Cello, and it's the Bedroom Beethoven Yeah, so confession time. I didn't know who you were a week ago. I fell down this rabbit hole online with like music and came across you and your work. So the upside is, is like after getting familiar with you for like five minutes, I had to get you on because you're not you're not only a, like a capable producer, a great lyricist, but you're an activist as well, and not one who uses his music to like combat adversity or anything or like unfair acts of socialism. But you're you're in the trenches. You're in it. As far as activism goes, man, I can admit. I feel like I have shifted a lot of my physical approach, my in-the-trenches approach, more of a subversive message in my music. Um, like, on my album, that's how to like it, and, and that was like a quick verse. Um, when Jamal kills Jerome, Jamal gets locked up. When Bob kills Jerome, only hashtags pop up. The You know, the great thing with sitting down with someone you barely know is that, like, after an hour, I hope to walk away with some new outlooks that I can apply to my own life, and maybe we can both walk away from this as better people than before. So I want to learn the motivations behind what kind of gets you out of bed in the morning and why you do what you do, my friend. So, uh, you know, thanks for being here. And uh, I think that was my long-winded way of saying thanks. But, you you know, I just, I like the philosophy. Uh, you know, I did some light research. And uh, I think my main thing is that I consider you like a 5%er. Meaning, you know, I don't think you're deaf, dumb, and blind to the issues that we face in America. All right, man. Well, let's rewind. Let's rewind it back, man. Why, why did you move to... Um, why did you move to Chicago two years ago? Like, were your parents still finding their footing starting out? I don't want to assume. You know, it could have been divorce or it could have been a new job. All I know is that when you move to a brand new city so young, there had to have been, like, a major shift happening. Yeah, so um, I've been in Chicago since I was two years old. Um, 
I pretty much grew up in Chicago. I was born in Memphis and raised in Chicago. Uh, I lived in New York for a little while, you know, living with musicians and, and, and other artists, different types of mediums, just all throughout Chicago, just trying to find my path, you know. I feel like a lot of it before this music shit, it was really just me going to school, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, you know. I'm in school for psychology. I was in school for broadcasting. I'm in school for all these different things, but I'm making music the entire time, you know. So I was never really a full-time artist up until recently where I'm actually my first period in life where I'm 100% a music artist and not uh, a music artist with a side hustle or a job or some shit like that, you know. What kind of stuff were you listening to? Because I, I remember I listened to your 106 song and I got all the references. So we got to be right in the same age, you know, uh, don't leave your girl around me, Usher, Fabulous M, Lupe, Wayne, all the old stuff. You know, that shit came out when I was in high school. And I remember buying tapes back then on the strength of the singles. Like I bought food and liquor because of kick push. And when can't deny me came out with Nate dog, I got it. The rest of the album wasn't that good as a single, but you know, that's okay. I guess that was just the sign of the times. Yeah. That's how it is. Sometimes. So, um, we, <laughs> I, by the time I'm listening, by the time I'm watching 106 in part, by the time I'm listening to hip hop, I'm listening to my own choice of music. When I grew up, they weren't listening to hip hop. Motherfuckers was listening to my like my dad was listening to uh like reggae and he listened to more adult contemporary shit. It's kind of like experimental. Like he'll listen to a lot of like Sting and Police and Peter Gabriel and. You know, like, like my dad will listen to Pink Floyd and my mom will listen to Pink Floyd, but then she'll turn around and listen to Tool and Metallica and uh, just so many different like rock artists. So like my dad was listening to like more on the experimental music side of things and the funk, you feel me? And my mom was grooving to like rock, straight up rock. Like she the reason why I knew Linkin Park existed. Damn, that's crazy. So, I mean, you could have went like the Jimi Hendrix route or you could have went the hip hop. I mean, that's a pretty eclectic taste of music. Yeah, so... I never really picked up an instrument until lately. I'm fucking with piano a little bit, but even with piano, I'm I'm composing like melodies and shit. But I'm also using these pianos to like make beats. Like I'm using it for my beat drums, for my drums, for my kicks and snares and shit too. So just having a keyboard it expands my whole thought because I'll sample I'll sample some music in a fucking heartbeat. I've always sampled music. I've always been someone who enjoy redesigning and reformatting something that's already there you know but i never really dug into like i I never it's like i have this producer's code where like a code of honor where i don't sample uh well-known heavily known ass songs like you're not gonna catch me sampling love and happiness by marvin Gaye. you know what i'm saying like i'm gonna just i'm gonna sample this obscure french jazz acid rock collective from 1972 that only got so many like these many fans and shit like that you know I like shit like that but and there's only there's certain types of songwriting or music composition that only comes from jazz or classical music that I try and derive from or draw that energy from and put that into my hip hop you know so motherfuckers don't even know what hit yeah you know like my favorite Wayne song is I Feel Like Dying Don't 
songs is uh like never being from cushion orange juice and that song samples a nintendo video game uh called chrono trigger um, wiz cannot put that shit up on i thought nothing like that because that's not his music you know he never got the clearance for the sample to the taylor gang pulling up some paper planes cushion orange juice nigga so if you go, so Cushion Orange Juice Flandra. just hit Spotify maybe a couple months ago. Yeah. Like this. Yeah. And if you go on Cushion Orange Juice right now and if you listen to Never Been, that beat is not the same beat. It's a repurposed beat. It's someone just took the likeliness of the sample and they just redid it, remade it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, bitch. <laughs> I'm high, so I said it like that. Um. You know what's crazy? Uh, have you ever played a game called Wild Arms for PlayStation? It was an RPG back in around the same time as uh, No, I've never played Wild Arms. Is there anything like uh, Xenogears? We're about to go down the road. <laughs> you know, Gears is my favorite game of all time. Yeah, see, there we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm about to repurpose this. This is about to be a video game podcast. No, like that favorite game of all time. Um, but the world map music in Wild Arms is a Sierra Leone sample. Flip the Wild Arms world map music for Jay-Z's Blueprint. And I'm a nerd, so I, I made the connection on that. Is it for the Blueprint song itself? Yeah, the song itself. Because they know that a lot of people aren't going to get the reference. You know what I mean? And 
nobody really wants to I mean as a producer I speak for myself I ain't gonna say nobody as a producer I don't want you to just know what the sample is right away unless I freak the fuck out that sample and I want you to know this is what the sample came from and now watch what I'm gonna do with it you know what I'm saying but other than that I want you to be like where the fuck did this come from I want you to look it up and then you fuck around and fall in love with the band you know what I'm saying like when Kanye sampled uh Steely Dan for Champion, I ended up listening to like three, four more Steely Dan songs, you know? And then when you do that, you hear how a motherfucker freaked it. Like, you can hear it now. It's like, damn, he took this chop. Because there's so many different ways to sample. It's like, motherfuckers loop. And I think, I personally think looping is lazy unless you're going to throw some live instrumentation over it. I mean, it's a good example of Lupin is Devil in a Red Dress, Kanye. Boom. Uh, uh, I love it though. I love it though. <laughs> you know? Uh, That's a long ass 14 second loop. You know, and it's no cuts, it's just the loop, and he just wrapped it, turned that bitch around over and over, but he threw live drums on it, a live bass player, so it's like, it gives it a whole vibe. So you think he created that beat in like 30 minutes and then went back to the well and was like, all right, let me let me flip this on its head and get like some live guitars, let me get... Yeah, he, he found a beat, I and mean, when he found a song, he was like, I like these, this eight second inter- interval, and he grabbed that motherfucker and he... Turn the pitch up on it in typical Kanye fashion, and motherfuckers loop that shit. And he was like, "All right, get Joe and him on the bass, have him come in and do, 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 And then we bring Bro in here with the drums and shit. Like, go ahead, let him smack the drums real quick with some cymbals and all that shit. So now it just feels more up to date, you know. Because then there's other songs where it's just the loop, and you rapping over the loop. So it is musicianship on top of actually sampling um you just gotta it, it's up to you to see how deep you want to take it you know you can just loop it or you can play instrumentation over it you can put your own melody over it especially when you're raising the pitch when you're raising the tone and the key of it it's a different key now so you gotta like figure out you gotta find a pocket you know what i'm saying yeah that's precisely why instagram is like uh, uh producers they can't showcase their skills because they're always looping or they're getting drum kits from splice and they're, they're taking the easy way out they're not really they're not architects they're not being you know alchemists. yeah i mean some of my favorite producers have their own beat kits their, their own drums so and i think yeah. i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of their drums is just a selection because it's, it's a selection of other people's drums and they just freak them a little bit because i mean shit i got jay dilla drum kits just blaze drum kits uh motherfucking 40 drum kits from who make Drake shit. I got all these drum kits that I think like a lot of the producers, the better you get in your craft, the more you're like, you know what? I want this to be my shit. I don't want to feel like if James, if this James Brown uh, drum loop didn't exist, this beat wouldn't be just as fresh. You know what I'm saying? Like motherfuckers are thinking like that after a while. You like, gee, I need all this shit to be original, you know? And, that, that's when you graduate, you know what I'm saying? That's when you that's when you make it to the next class, when you make it to the next level, when you make it to that new point where you're like, when you start challenging yourself. Because you, at first, yeah, motherfuckers gonna start with Splice. And I damn near think it's good that they do because of all that shit royalty free. Say you smack a Grammy, you got a Grammy now, and all of a sudden, motherfuckers coming for you on some Juice World shit, you know what I'm saying? Like, motherfuckers, like, Sting took that whole shit off Lucid Dreams. That's a Sting sample. 
And Sting like 90% of the royalties off that shit. Juice World is on record saying he really don't give a fuck. He's he, he, his foot in the door now, so he good. There's more money to come, but still, it's just like now. Meanwhile, Cushion Orange Juice was like Wiz's like breakthrough joint. You know, niggas was still probably in, in you know in Pittsburgh with producers in Pittsburgh just shopping with beats and shit. Got the beat and just ran and ran. And with I'm thinking. Uh, Cause that was a mixtape. I bet you Wiz didn't pay for any of that shit. If 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 I had to interview them, I guarantee you they'd say they just wanted clout. That's why Drake took on the clout was so far gone and shit. Cause he couldn't even get the uh. He shot himself in the foot cause he couldn't get that Kanye sample. He couldn't get that, you know, cause he rapped over that, you know, the say you will. And that's like one of Drake fans, earlier Drake fans' favorite Drake verses. Why do I feel so alone? And everybody sitting in the studio. You know what I'm saying? This he rapping over this this Kanye shit. And I remember the blogs going crazy when it came out and shit like that. You know, fast forward, now Drake beefing with Kanye and Kanye ain't letting that nigga, <laughs> he not letting him clear the sample. You know, so now Say You Will not even on so far gone. When, when you go on Spotify, it's not even on that, you know. So it's like those bargaining chips is important. And I think that's why it goes into how motherfuckers really do need to own their masters, you know. Why you need to own your music so that way you can, you can say no. Or you can say, yeah, and you don't got to wait from a phone call from your label reps and shit like that to tell them what they finna do with your music. Only way to do that is to be independent, though, right? There's no way you can be signed to a label and own your masters. Brandy just bought her rights. Brandy? What does she need it for? A shit. She, her shit, her catalog is worth $100 million. Still. Oh, to this day. Nice to me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's why I be realizing, too, when it comes to, um, come to music, just because I'm not listening to the shit, don't mean motherfuckers ain't still... Yeah, I mean, The Boy Is Mine featuring Monica. You know what I'm saying? Like, motherfuckers is still listening to Almost Doesn't Count. Like, motherfuckers is still listening to these Brandy songs. You know, they they still, they're still, she will still sell out a stadium. You know, her name is still good in these streets. And it's like, that's a good thing to have when you know your, your catalog can do that shit. And even if it's just one or two songs, that's all you, that's really all you need. Like, Sir Mix-A-Lot don't need to come out with a new album because he's still getting paid because he owns the rights to Baby Got Back. I know, but I guarantee you when he goes on stage to perform music, they're saying, play Baby Got Back. We don't want to hear your other shit. And he's probably like, God damn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's what they hear for. And that's fine, too, because when he gets paid every time he performs it on stage as well. No mechanical royalties. So now you're getting paid. Every time someone plays Baby Got Back in a fucking corny ass white boy movie, <laughs> you getting paid. You getting paid every time somebody plays it at a fucking birthday party. You getting paid every time they play that Nicki Minaj song, Anaconda. You getting paid yeah. because that's your sample, and you getting that money. Not Warner Brothers, not Def Jam. You getting that money because you own the rights to your music. So yo 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 songs. It has longevity. It has legs. It can walk on its own. You feel me? And that shit is like, motherfuckers really starting to realize that's the goal, you know? So even now, it's like, you might not, you know, there might be hard to find a record label that's going to give you your rights outright, you know? But that's why if you want to stay independent and if you still want to get out there, you find your publishing deal. You find somebody that's going to talk to you and that's going to send your shit distribution. You your shit distributed, you know? That's one of the things, one of the things about labels when you get signed, it's just shit becomes easier to be seen in the public eye. Because these niggas know the people already. 
you know, now all of a sudden, Jimmy Fallon is one fucking phone call away. Saturday Night Live, one phone call away. Where I lived, where I lived in Texas, Swisher House, like dominated. And by the time, by the time you heard Camilla and Aaron Paul Wall, we were both with that shit for years. So like when you were first releasing mixtapes, like before you even told anybody, maybe you were still in hobby mode. Like what artists were you checking where you could kind of understand that blueprint and get a business? DJ Messiah, Oh yeah, because niggas want, and then this is ringing true now more than ever. Labels don't want to create you. Labels don't want to create no fucking music artist. Not if they don't have to. Niggas want niggas that's already established. They already got a fan base. They already got thousands and hundreds of thousands of plays, views by these people and that people. You know, they can already sell out a show if the, if the day came where they got to sell out a show. And all the label do is just hold that motherfucker up in the air like Simba and Lion King and shit. They just hold him up like, look, look who it is. You know, like you said, by the time the rest of the world had seen them, they was already hometown heroes. It was already good. It was already selling out this. They were selling shit out their trunk. It was, it was going crazy. It was already viral before the label hit them. And that's why the label hit their line is because they were already viral. You know? I'm glad you get that. It's like people don't understand. Like Slim Thug walked away from a Pharrell contract. He was on Star Trek. He got. He was able to get his beats for free essentially and he walked away from that to go back to being independent when it came to my music man my bread and butter has always been my live performances and i feel like that's gonna be the thing that when that day comes all i all i need is the opportunity to get up in, in, on stage on Lollapalooza. you know what i'm saying because i see because i i'm a sucker for it myself i'm a sucker for live performances man if you i could have never that's why i like going to music festivals sometimes because if i go to music festival i don't know 80% of those people on that bill, that don't mean they not good. And if I sit there and if I wait long enough, someone's going to blow my fucking mind that I've never heard before. And they're going to go crazy, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to check their shit out. That's a, that's the good old-fashioned way, if you ask me. You blow their mind in person, face-to-face. Because I've lost respect for music artists off of shitty performances and shit like that. You know, So it's only right that I gain respect for a motherfucker off that. So you're you're limiting your reach by staying in Chicago. Like, if fame is not important, are you more like the hometown hero trying to turn the city around for yourself and others? Like, what's the motivation between people that don't leave or people that stay? Are they are they afraid of success or they don't want to get out of their comfort zone or they they want to build up the city where they came from? I mean, it could be a little bit of all that. It could be a little bit of all that. It could be people who don't want to leave because they feel like they have to do hair. Like I know, I was when I moved to New York. I was in a, my status in Chicago was so unestablished that if I would have blew up in New York, niggas would have been like, who the, I could have told niggas I was from New York and they'd have, they'd have believed me because I didn't, I had no buzz in Chicago. So when I came back to Chicago, that was my focus. I'm like, and it wasn't just, oh yeah, I want to get it popping in the South suburbs. Like I used to live in Blue Island. I used to live in a hundred. So like, I wasn't just like, oh yeah, let me get it cracking on a hundred and third. I'm like, nah, let me run over here where everybody at. Well, all the shit, because the movies is like, let me go to Wicker Park. Let me go over here to these shows downtown, over here in the West Loop. Let me figure it out where these niggas with money is at. Let me figure it out, you know? And now I'm, like, established enough to the point where if I were to blow up tomorrow, if it ended up on MTV, or if MTV came down to Chicago and they started interviewing niggas, like, hey, you ever heard of Ace Da Vinci? Motherfuckers from the merch. They gonna merch for me. And I felt that's something that I always wanted. 
is for people to be able to be like, yeah, oh, y'all know Ace, that nigga been doing it. He deserves it. He deserves what's coming his way, you know? And I feel like also in that position, one of the reasons why most motherfuckers don't bounce around is because they don't know how. They don't know where. They don't even know the first step. And then, and then it's like you got these things, these bumps in your career where it's like these peaks and valleys. And then there's the peaks where it's like, damn, that was really cool. But if you don't know how to ride that wave, then you end up lost in the sauce again or you end up feeling like that shit never happened. I don't live there, obviously, but when people think of Chicago, they think of loss of opportunity or murder. They think of Chirac. But what people don't realize is like Chicago basically invented modern segregation. And, you know, there's there's a lot of good schools out there. There's, you know, Bradwell, there's Harlan Community Academy. And there's they're always going to hit with staff cuts. and They take away the music program. And while, while black students were 40% of Chicago's population, they made up of 88% of those affected by the closures. And they just dump them on the streets. And the integration has to be deliberate and intentional. It doesn't always just happen or maintain itself. It would be nice if, like, if motherfuckers want to segregate, you know, or keep us over there. It would be nice if we had at least the tools necessary to keep ourselves afloat. And I think that's one of the things that we can tell. That's what systematic oppression is. That's what systematic racism is. Is when not only are y'all putting us over here, but y'all also taking away our water, lights, food, access to education. Y'all not just leaving us the fuck alone. You know what I'm saying? Be different. We was like, go over there. And we're like, all right, back. And then the next thing you know, boom, another Black Wall Street. You know what I'm saying? Now we got Black Wall Streets in every neighborhood, in, the, in every state. Okay, so we got the low-income communities over here, but we also have the Black Mecca over here on this side of town where these Black folk got money. Like, nah, they trying to cut it down to where if, they look, if, the, if the neighborhood looks like it got money, this country looks at it as if that just means that they have enough resources for white people to live in it. You know what I'm saying? That's just what it is. It's like, okay, this is a nice community. Good enough for white people to move in. So y'all get the fuck out. And then they chase them out with money. That's what gentrification is. It's like, I bet. We're going to raise your... I know we, I know you've been living here for 22 years, and this is a family heirloom and shit. So we're not going to kick you out, but we just going to raise this rent 20%. So what you going to do? You know, but it's a very subversive way of doing it, right? It's a very like insidious... Oh, we're not kicking you out. We're just raising the price of the rent. But I can't afford that. Oh, I wonder what that means. You know what I'm saying? So it's that's that's the shit that's happening. Um, and then it turns into people leaving their communities, running up in these white neighborhoods and all that shit, uh, trying to figure out how they fit in in these places, even though they don't, you know. And then it turns into, like, if you keep going and if you succeed even more, then you end up in some Kanye West situation where you're the only black person in the room. Now, all of a sudden, you're the different one. You know, now you're in a room where they have those conversations like, you're not like those other black people. You're obviously doing something right to be up here with us. And if you want to stay up here at the top with us, in our tax bracket, then maybe you should just let some of your friends go and just do this and do that. You know what I'm saying? Because motherfuckers can't connect them, you know? I was informed that there was like, like schools closing down in like Inglewood so they could build cop academies. And it interested me because like I was a victim of school closings and I had to go to school in a whole different neighborhood that I knew nothing about. And then my school became predominantly black and low income schools closed all around me. And like, I want to change that narrative because they're, like you said, they're not funding schools or art programs, but they're also using this money 
for like police academies that they don't really need. And it's more important to fund schools because most of the kids feel like they don't have opportunities. Did you ever feel lost or was music always something you carried on your back? Maybe you were a lot luckier than these kids, not because you quote unquote made it, but maybe you had direction because you're talking about these other guys that they don't know how to leave Chicago because they don't have direction, but you seem like you're very smart and you've, you've got your blueprint laid out a lot better than, than the next guy. I'm the first born. So my family did a lot of trying to move me around so I didn't have to go through the shit that they went through. It was like that type story, you know what I'm saying? Like, I grew up over here, it's dangerous. I don't want you to have to go through that. Go live in the burbs. And then I grew up for a while feeling like it was a curse for me to live in the burbs because then I'm too white for black people and I'm too black for white people. You know what I'm saying? So while I didn't stay in the hood, while I was just around brothers and sisters all day, it opened my mind up to be able to see what actual racism really felt like. Because I didn't see my... I grew up where I did not see a white person in person. Like, in person, physically a white person in person until, like, third grade. You know what I'm saying? Like, before that, 103rd and Western, dog. I was out there chilling. Wasn't no white people in my school. Wasn't no white teachers. Wasn't no white security guards, police officers. None of that shit. You know what's crazy is like I, so I'm I'm mixed. My dad's black. My mom is white. She's uh she's German. My wife is Korean and uh, Czech, which means my kids are like all these races. And I live next to a military base, so we saw we see all these races. So luckily, like I never really gave that POV. But I'm raising two young daughters. I operate in a very do as I say, not as I do. Like I have a very strict no cursing rule in my house. But sometimes I'll say fuck or shit and they'll look at me and I'll say, it's okay, I'm an adult, you're a kid, you can't do that. And at the end of the day, I wonder if I'm doing more harm than good. Like, am I confusing them by not being the example instead of making excuses? I mean, shit, hey, my mom is the exact same way. Like, she was a very because I said so type of parent. Did you hate that? Like, I kind of, I hated that growing up and now I find myself doing it. Most times that those words leave my mouth because I said so shit. I feel like there could be room for a deeper conversation with that person. Because that person is basically asking why. We shut it down because we're lazy and we don't want to give a proper response. <laughs> yeah, or we're in a certain mood, you know what I'm saying? Or like we feel like that why is coming out like it's a bit more rebellious than it is inquisitive. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a difference between like, but why? And why? You know, so it's like, <laughs> so I could see that being a, being a thing too. And we're all human, right? It's like, Sometimes it's just, that's just the, the status quo of shit. But sometimes I'm being like, oh, yeah, because I said so. We could be like, no, nah, you shouldn't curse like that because. And then you can come up. And then sometimes you answering these questions helps you, like, have a reason to why you stand on the ground that you stand on. You know, because I feel like I think that's important, too. I think we do a lot of learning as we grow up. That doesn't mean that everything that we learned was right. but We just learned what we saw. And then a responsibility that most people have that we all have is to unlearn some shit when we learn something better. You know, it's like when I, I grew up thinking um, if you use someone else's brush or if you use someone else's comb, you can fuck around and get dangerous. I just, that's just what I heard. I just heard that if someone else has dangerous and if you use their comb, you can get dangerous too. Yeah, I, I grew up like you don't use other people's deodorant. You don't use your toothbrush to to other people's toothbrush to brush your teeth and 
when I first started sharing a space with my wife, if she couldn't find her deodorant, she would use mine. Or like if she couldn't find her toothbrush, she'd use mine. I'm like, what the fuck? Don't do that. Yeah, she's crazy. And it's just and it's like things like that that's just embedded in us without us even knowing it. You don't even yeah, know. She was shocked when I told her, like, don't use other people's toothbrushes. And she's like, why? And I'm just like, okay, I get it. This is, you grew up a little differently than me. Right. She said, why? And you didn't even have like a just well, back in 1822, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> There's no real reason behind it. It's just more like, because, <laughs> you know, so if you find yourself doing that with the kids or something like that, period. I feel like some of these things are should could potentially have more room to be open for interpretation, open for discussion. It's like, well, why can't I curse? Well, because you can take it, you go a spiritual route, you can go a physical route, you be like, oh, yeah, it's not ladylike, or it's not gentlemanlike, and I'm trying to raise you to be something bigger than other people. Or you can be on some like, well, when you curse, you're actually cursing yourself, you know, based on spirituality or religion, this and that. Um, or words are powerful, speaking things into existence, learning things like that, you know. But then it's like, you gotta realize that when you say these things, they're going to hold, like you said, they're going to hold you to that same standard. They're going to be like, well, you said that words are powerful and you said that, you know, that then it's like a double-edged sword because it might suck. But then, it's, then but then it's also like, well, shit, why, what makes me different than my kids to have to do certain things? You know, my kids got to brush their teeth twice a day. Why, why the fuck do I think I'm above that? I remember when I went out and I did this and I did that shit and I started driving and I had, the cops pulled me over and I got locked up for two weeks, geez. So, I mean, shit. You want to take, you want to follow my lead, you know what I'm saying, and get locked up like that too. Go ahead, or you could do better than me, and you can not tweak, and you can not drink and drive. You can just do some other shit, you know. You can take the Uber. We ain't have Uber when I was your age, you know what I'm saying. So you got Uber now, shit. Don't even drink, don't even do it, you know. And it's like, it's like you can speak from experience now, and being able to speak from experience helps a lot of people out because, yeah. you know, especially if you have a relationship with that person when you're in tune, you can be like, damn. My uncle got locked up for a month off the drinking and driving shit. You know, I normally do it with my guys and shit. And my girl don't like when I do it. My girl tell me that she don't want me to do it. But it took the conversation with my uncle telling me how he got locked up for me to be like, you know what, let me not do it. Well, let's, let's expand on that empathy thing you brought up. I, I want your thoughts on the Nipsey issue. And by issue, not so much the slain act, but the results leading up to it. My, my big thing is so much fuckery has arisen from it. You have a multitude of rappers getting him tattooed on them. You got Kodak Black making immature and unremarkable comments about his family, which results in radio play banning. You got scalpers selling Nipsey Hustle memorial tickets for $500 on eBay. You got shootings at his vigil. You have his albums re-entering the Billboard 200. You got people celebrating his life. Their eyes are opening up to like loss prevention. It's a, it's a fucking circus, man. How do you approach this situation? Shit, man, I... Sometimes some of the best thing, some of the best thing to do is observe. You know, I feel like this ain't the first time we didn't see that happen as a society when motherfuckers just went crazy. It's like haywire out there over the situation. You know, I'm still seeing Nipsey on my dashboard to this day on everything, on, on Twitter, Instagram. Like, I saw someone make a post say, uh, I could see Nipsey on my page for the rest of my life and it wouldn't bother me one bit. And I'm like, motherfuckers feel that way, you know? For some people, that shit, like you said, it might just be a come up. Like motherfuckers just throwing events and all that shit, like in the name of Nipsey, you know, just for the heads, just for the, just for the play, just for the, just to fill up a room, you know. I mean, some people, if their attention is right, they're doing it because they know 
it could be cathartic to have people who all feel the same way. Like, when Michael Jackson died, you better believe motherfuckers got together. So, they, you know what I'm saying, vibing out and shit like that. But you uh, you participated in, like, in the Trayvon activism. And, like, I was, I was thinking about, like, your little brother who might have been too young at the time to really grasp the situation. So what, so what he knows is everything he learned about Trayvon Martin was through the court system. You know, he might have had a misconception about Trayvon because they didn't really get to know him. So as like protesters and message bringers, you want to characterize exactly who he was, who he was to us as a people. That's important. People can revisit Nipsey and, and, and they can see a Larry King interview or they can listen to his music and go to full picture. But stuff like Trayvon, Black Lives Matter and all that, these people weren't celebrities. So people don't understand the motives or the importance of like the what was it? The train. What was the name of the, uh, the uh, train takeover? Train takeover. Like I, I think the younger generation might not understand the importance of stuff like that and why it's important. Oh yeah, it's important because you gotta uh, you gotta push the facts when it's very easy to get lost in the other shit. You gotta push the figures. You gotta push the the truth of what's going on out there. Um, but you also gotta do it in a way that sometimes people can't escape. Motherfuckers came out with a documentary on Netflix called Woke. Niggas would be like, man, I know what this shit gonna be about. I'm not in the mood for it. I'd be guilty of that too. Like instead of watching Trigger Warning with Killer Mike, I got high and watched Frasier instead. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I know, I already know what the fuck Killer Mike gonna be gonna say. Some shit that's gonna piss me off. He gonna tweak me out. Or you know, I ain't in the mood for it yet. You know what I'm saying? I'm chilling. I'm, I'm trying to just laugh, right? But if I'm around a nigga that got a killer Mike mentality and we just sitting around playing games or some shit like that and playing chrono trick and he like hey bro did you know that every eight seconds a black you know what i'm saying i'm like damn <laughs> now i just got fed it a different way but it still happened you know and it's like uh that's gonna have to happen for a lot of people a lot of people aren't gonna just sit at that at that, at that dinner table put on a bib and little apron and be like all right feed me some people you gotta you got to throw him a bag of chips instead of the whole fucking gourmet. You got to be like, AG, hey, here, there's a brownie now. Give him the brownie. You know, and they be like, damn, that shit was good. You got something else? Oh, yeah, all this food for thought. I got all this shit, you know, but just take this brownie for now. Take these chips for now. You know, we'll get you in tune later. You know, you got to get that appetite. This is the tragedy of that if it wasn't for seeing the people who you know and who you love being upset about it. You was like, why are you crying, auntie? Why are you crying, cousin? Cause this Trayvon Martin shit got me fucked up. Really? Damn. They got you crying? Tell me more about it. You know what I'm saying? Now you more in tune with it. I hate to bring up pop culture reference when we talk about real life, but there's that scene in The Dark Knight when the Joker says, nobody cares when a landmine tips over a truck in Iraq and nine people die because that's controlled chaos. People expect that. But if your grandma dies, you're going to, you know, you're, you're not going to care about the people in Iraq, but you're going to care when your grandma dies. I, th- I think that kind of applies a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, motherfuckers are going crazy about Nipsey, but they're not going crazy about these mudslides that's happening in Haiti. They're not going crazy about these, you know, about all these natural disasters that's snatching people out of their homes, taking away their homes, and, and, and these kids disappearing in the sex trafficking market and the shit like that. Like, there's so many things that you get be upset about, you know, but sometimes maybe that's just love too much to digest. Right, it's like too much. Like I said, we at the dinner table. That's a lot of bread. That's a lot of starch. That's a lot of that's a lot of pasta. That's a lot of shit. I ain't even know that damn hungry. You know what I'm saying? I'ma just eat this chicken wing. You know, Nipsey hustle the fuck around and be that chicken wing where it's just like, all right, bet. Well, I can digest this, and I have. I feel like I have some type of attachment to this 
because I'm a music artist too or because I'm a nigga from the hood too and if I gave back to my community and if I got killed in my community I'd be fucked up I'd be fucked up if my own community killed me or because I'm from LA too or I'm from you know what I'm saying motherfuckers are find that thing to attach to I mean that's why I like you man you, you see rap as something you do and hip hop is something you live so I mean I enjoyed talking to you getting some perspective how about a little off the dome bedroom Beethoven's freestyle for us yeah this is bedroom Beethoven you already know I stay open. I'm smoking on this weed, I stay choking. Off the dopamine, I stay doping. I don't think they understood where I came from, where the pain and where my brain from. But it's okay. When I have kids, I make sure not to raise no lame son. Listen, my whole mind is a mindset. In other words, you got to find what's timeless. And whatever's timeless, you can rhyme it, climb it. If it's a mountain, then you can climb it. And then just adjust to any climate <laughs> because shit, it's the only way we'll try it. Find your own wings that you can fly with. If someone tries to sell you a story, then don't buy it. Listen, you gotta write your own. Find you, if you've never been to a studio, find a mic to own. You know, develop your story, develop your craft. Next thing you know, the whole world will be on your ass. Ace DaVinci, Smart Mouth Entertainment, heavy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, man. Uh man, I can't thank you enough. I really enjoyed this whole thing. Uh last thing, you should probably get your URL back because now it's a like an all Japanese site. <laughs> AceDaVinci.com. Like I was I was like that's usually the first place I look. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I need to get my website back. I need to um, you know, pay pay GoDaddy for the domain subscriptions and all that shit. But in the meantime, if motherfuckers wanna find me, um I use Instagram. Motherfuckers wanna find me how you know Sunday High S C B E N. D-A-Y-H-I-H. And from there, you'll find everything you need. The YouTube, the Facebook, the, 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 the SoundCloud, the Oh, yeah. And tune in part two when we just get high and talk about Xenogears for two hours. That's coming soon. <laughs> Ooh, I know. I know. <laughs>